everyone. Welcome to our first episode of Lodestar Lending Leaders in 2022. Um, welcome back. Uh, I first off would like to thank uh, Lena Gardner, Director of Sales and Marketing at Lodestar, who handled a lot of the episodes towards the end of last year. Um, you will be hearing a lot of her in the this year to come, so don't worry, you're not stuck with me too long. Uh, we have a great guest, a uh, great um, podcast today I'm really excited about to kick off the year. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Ty Saloa, at Qualia. He's their manager of lender sales. I've known him for a while. We've been in MBA panels together, been around the industry, had our share of beers together at conferences. So excited to have a conversation about kind of the things you see in lender sales. Uh, Ty, thanks so much for coming on today. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jim. And it's great to see you again. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. This is, I, I, I was saying before, I think usually every time I see like the trees of Oregon behind you, but I know it'd be a little too cold to do that today. So at least you have the, the palm tree behind you over there for a little bit of greenery. There we go. Yeah. So um, wanted to kick this off. I know a lot of folks, Qualia is grown by leaps and bounds, obviously, over, over the years. I remember when it was Nate and a few guys wearing hoodies and sweatshirts. Uh, and sweatshirts at conferences and people saying, who the heck are these guys? I don't think they really have that problem anymore. Um, but I think one thing that that we've talked about is, you know, you've shifted from, you know, Quali as a title agent platform to start. And now there's a lot of other things they do for lenders. So love to hear about kind of what's gotten you into this space in general, the types of things that you do with lenders. And then we'll kind of talk about, you know, things you're seeing in the industry. Yeah, it's a, I appreciate that, Jim. And I think most folks that know quality in the space um, know us as a system of record for for title companies. So it's the LOS mm-hmm. of title. Um, yeah. You know, we've got a, a, most of I would say most of the lenders in in the country today have probably done a closing at some with some capacity with a title um, escrow agent or an attorney on on Qualia. Uh, but over the past several years, we have been taking um, the product to the lender market as well and trying to fill in all those gaps between how the lenders are working with with their title partners. There's still a substantial mm-hmm. amount of manual work and effort that goes into the closing mm-hmm. today. And so our goal really is um, to, again, simplify that process. And we started mm-hmm. uh, in post-closing a couple of years ago, and we've been working our way upstream to really address a lot of those major pain points. Mm-hmm. That's great. And what do you see as kind of the main problems when a lender comes to you and says, Ty, please help? You know, what are what are the things that you feel you can kind of make the most impact on? Yeah, it's, it's been interesting. If you look at just the evolution, I think, of where um, lenders have put a lot of their their buying power and tools over the last you know X number of years. So when you and I first met, you know, it was point of sale. Um, it's been e-closing the past couple of years. And mm-hmm. as that continues to, to revamp, I think upstream is really where you're going to see like the next iteration of, of focus go from an operational mm-hmm. perspective. Um, I think when we, you know, Qualia talk to lenders, a lot of it is just the interaction and in, in the back and forth between the lender and the title company. So if you look at just for example, in a, like any given closing, um, the lender obviously has a lot of control over which title the partners they're working with on a refinance. So they get to typically mm-hmm. choose friends that they've worked with or buddies where they have a very streamlined process and on purchases, obviously they don't. So as we move um, into a purchase market, you know, mm-hmm. this next year rates are going up, margins are getting pr- compressed. There seems to be a lot of real focus on areas where lenders can um, you know, optimize their workflow, reduce costs, a lot of those standard KPIs that we always talk about as, as sales folks, but there really seems to be a huge um opportunity to add value in that lender title relationship because it is such a manual process right now today. Mm-hmm. What do you think leads to that? I remember I, I called on title agents when I started Lodestar. I was selling to them for a while. And 
uh, called a title agent once, told them about our product, and they said, oh, our owner doesn't really like the internet. <laughs> so, you know, where, where are we at with your title agents, a manual process, people flat faxing things. When I was little running around a family title agency, they had typewriters for typing out policy. So where are we it's at? A, it's, yeah. a, it's a great, great, great point right there. And I dealt yeah. with the same thing on the lender side when I got in the industry. And yeah. so I think, you know, at the end of the day, there's so many solutions and products in place, especially when you look at like e-closing platforms, you look at point of sale solutions, yeah. you look at, at the end of the day, people are just trying to get stuff done. Uh, we saw mm -hmm. the CFPB try to fix this with TRID back in 2015. Yeah. We saw a lot, we saw yeah. a lot of big, you know, uh, settlement agent collaboration tools that, that rolled out and then everybody went back to what they knew before. And that's back to, to pen and yeah. paper and email and phone calls. So when you look mm -hmm. at just the number of emails and number of documents that are going back and forth, especially mm -hmm. unsecurely, I think a lot of lenders and especially on the title side as well. Yeah. Like both sides don't realize that they're sending documents with very sensitive information back mm -hmm. and forth. So that opens them up to breach and just the level of, of effort it takes too, in terms of, of throughput and like labor costs that they're, yeah. um, that both sides are, are sending data and documents back and forth right there. So how do you mm -hmm. take a process where it's pretty standardized throughout, you know, the initial order placement all the way through post-closing and yes, you're mm -hmm. going to have a lot of different, um, you know, one-offs and situations that need to be addressed, but at the end of the day, you're typically you know, creating, placing your order, you're generating your CD, you're sending out your LE, you're, you know, doing your closing, you're sending your trailing documents at a very um, systemized process um, throughout the entire like workflow. So how do you automate a lot of that? So you can give your folks back time to focus on higher priority tasks. You can eliminate the risk factor right there and sending over documents and data right. unsecurely. And then you can ultimately like increase your KPIs, right? So how do you get from 25 days to close down to 20 days to close, you know, mm -hmm. outside of dealing with some appraisal issues and stuff like that that we see in the market? Like what are the actual mm -hmm. um, business metrics and units that we can start to address and have conversations so that they can continue to drive it from a, an operational uh, workflow, but also ultimately it's going to have a better borrower experience, which is really what the, the lenders are focused on is, right. you know, how do we create a great borrower experience, but all these things have to line up in order for that right. to happen. I mean, I'm going to push you on that. Is that what lenders are focused on? A great borrower experience or just faster closings, lower costs? You know, if, if this is easier for the borrower, great. I think it depends on who you talk to, right? And you look at the personas of, of lenders, right? If you, the mm -hmm. sales folks, the chief lending officers, um, they're focused on the best borrower experience possible, right? And and we've, everyone, you know, you could say POS is not commoditized, but everybody's got a point of sale in place today. Yeah. Folks are working on you closing. They're trying to figure out how do you drive that seamless borrower experience from application all the way to closing. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's, you know, definitely a big area of focus um, for those, you know, Again, chief lending officer, those sales yeah. focused folks. When you look at the operational folks, it's going to be more focused on you know workflow, back end operations, you know yeah. throughput, um, and you know whatever their number of days to close are, their resource allocation and capacity right there. So, yeah. I would say that is a, a definite area of focus. And again, we're seeing it as a higher priority mm -hmm. focus now, moving into. Uh, you know, 2022, just like I mentioned, as yeah. rates are going up, we're seeing margins compressed and a lot of those standard. Um, mm -hmm where we had a, we had a bigger buffer in profitability over the last couple of years. Now that yeah. that's shrinking, there's a big focus on a lot of those areas right there. Like we had um, Kevin Peranio from PRMG on um, in our first season. And I think the number was about 14% of customers return to a lender. So something just absurdly low. And I think when you talk about borrower experience, lenders are starting to realize um, that's actually, you know, 
these are this is future business at the end of the day, right? If someone likes working with us enough, it's a referral, it's another loan. I know it, it's a long timeline. People don't really refi once a year. It's it's a little more spread out, but I think you know, folks are looking at you know that good experience is actually good for business too at the end of the day. Yeah, hundred percent. And we saw data around this um, you know, when I was selling POS several years ago yeah. that even the millennial and Gen Z borrowers, they want the ease of use of technology. So they want mm-hmm. that that flashy, sexy, you know, TurboTax like borrower experience, but they still need the handholding and they need the relationship coaching right there. And so mm-hmm. I think that's where, just like, you know, KP had mentioned, you have to find the balance in using technology to make yeah. things easier, but, but still maintain that relationship. Because if you don't, right. just like you said, then you have a 14% uh, return mm-hmm. rate and they're going to go to anybody else for the refinance mm-hmm. or the next purchase right there. Well, if you use technology, right, you can leverage that. You can have you can, your loan officers spend more time talking to someone and not pressing buttons. Absolutely. Right. And I think that leads into another um, caveat as well is it's really easy for a lender or a title company for that matter to implement new technology and spend a lot of money, but how they implement it, how it interacts with all their different systems is another um, piece right there. And I think that it's the implementation and the adoption process that's almost more important mm-hmm. than the actual purchasing process because if they're not using it and they're not using it correctly, it's not speaking yeah. to all the different systems, then that's ultimately going to reflect on that borrower experience right there and, and potentially operational ramifications as well. So when you're having those conversations with a potential lender, um, and we go through this too, of you know, what makes you think uh, the process with a lender is going to be more successful versus one that, you know, gets you a little bit nervous and has kind of some red flags in the back of your head. Yeah. When you look at like just generalized pain points, right. And we, we yeah. talked to, we spent a lot of time this last year speaking to lenders about where they're, where they spend a lot of time and where they mm-hmm. spend a lot of, where they see a lot of pain. Right. Um, we started out you know, internally working with lenders and post-closing is post-closing was a huge issue, right? Dealing with mm-hmm. trailing documents, um, getting those back from title companies, and then ultimately getting them out to their investors. You know, as you go upstream, it, it really opened the door that, okay, the lender title relationship is, is still really manual across the process, right? So sometimes we hear, okay, on any given loan, how many emails are going back and forth between the lender and the title company to complete a closing? And sometimes that's you know, 75 or a hundred, yeah. which is, which is a lot of one, it's a lot of emails. That's a lot of data and documents. And two, then if you look at your processors, your closers, or the folks mm-hmm. that are dealing with title companies that limits their capacity too. They can only now handle right. so many loans per body count. And yeah, that ultimately lender has emails times a hundred loans, a thousand loans a month. That's a lot. There of you, yeah. There you go. Right. So how do you cut that down even 50% or 25% standardize mm-hmm. a lot of that. So that way at the end of the day, now from a throughput perspective, your processor can now handle, you know, 10 or 20% more loans per body count. Um, and then it goes back to, or your post-closer or your funder or your closer. And at the end of the day, it's a scalability issue. So we saw this with, with COVID, obviously rates dropped, volumes went crazy. Everybody just went on a hiring spree. Um, and now looking at, you know, the next year, the next couple of years, how do you again, use technology to handle the influx of, of volume, whether it's seasonal or, or rate-based in order to, you know, provide scalable solutions for that lender across the board. Well, there's the thing that I've noticed when, you know, you talk about the fragmentation of the industry and, and dealing with kind of the issues of the 70 emails per loans that you were talking about and problems like that is kind of like a one-to-many problem, right? A lender has to work with a bunch of different title agents that they don't have control of. They're on all these different systems. You have to get them to use your system. And then a title agent is dealing with all these different lenders they, as a title agent, I, I was a title agent for a while. You can't dictate Jack at the end of the day for what your lenders are going to use. 
Um, so how do you guys kind of encounter that type of problem of the fatigue of lenders wanting to, or title agents signing up for systems and then lenders just trying to standardize things? Yeah, I love to use the fatigue because that's one of the terms we use internally. We, we call it portal fatigue, right? And if you think about yeah, the number of I portals like that everybody's mm-hmm. trying to get on both sides to log into, mm-hmm. uh, the settlement agents and, and escrow officers are getting you know hammered mm-hmm. by 50 or 100 different portals. And then same thing uh, potentially with, with the lenders right there as well. So I would say at the end of the day, it's all about like connectivity. And I think one of the advantages we have, at least with Qualia, um, is that, you know, being a system of record for title companies, you know, having integrations with LOS is, is we can allow the lender to stay in their core system of record, which is their LOS, and then allow the title companies to stay in Qualia or Reservoir as their core system of, uh, of record mm-hmm. right there. So I think that helps out a lot um, for the folks that are, you know, on the settlement agent side, for example, that are not uh, on Qualia Reservoir today, I would say, um, you know, we got ahead of that a little bit a couple of years ago when we launched our, our post-closing portal. And so most of the industry today on the title side is, is already using our portal in some capacity, right? Whether they're on the core system or they're on the portal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, going back to lenders, I think right there, um, that's a major challenge I think that everybody's dealing with. And I don't know what the answer is, to be honest, because if you're looking at all these e-closing platforms, they all have portals. If you're looking at um, all the point of sale portals, they have portals. And and again, going back to this idea of portal fatigue. So um, I'm hoping that, you know, bi-directional integrations, you know, API integrations will help start to solve this um, as, you know, we're seeing the LOSs open up and expose their APIs. Uh, Mm -hmm. Same thing with some of the, the, um, you know, title and settlement software. Um, I think that's going to be the way to go. I'm hoping because yeah. at the end of the day, then that's just another, por- if not, it's another portal folks have to log into. And we saw this with TRID. Um, if, if it's not easy, they're going to go back to what they know and they're going to yeah. go back to the calls, the phone calls, the emails, the faxes. And it's just more of let's get it done as quickly as possible with the big labor push instead of let's implementing, let's implement technology right. in a successful and scalable way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the term portal fatigue. I remember right before Trib launched one of those conferences, there was 23 portals at a conference. I called it the battle of the portals. And yep. very few of them are actually in business now in, in, in whatever capacity. So it's been um, definitely a challenge. And I don't know if you find yourself avoiding the word portal when you're talking about the solution at all to folks. Um, it, it depends like who and we're talking to, but I think... Mm-hmm. It's yeah. gonna be a challenge, so it's kind of like let's let's have the conversation, and figure out mm-hmm. how to how to deal with this. Um, yeah. And the other thing that's interesting too, right, is you're seeing settlement agents and title companies that are adopting their own e-closing software or their own RON software, and then you see the same thing on the lender side. So I think it's gonna be very interesting moving forward. Um, it was much easier over the past couple of years because everything was, was mostly refis, right? And so now yeah. that we're moving to a, a purchase environment, you know, does the settlement agent have the the power or the with wherewithal mm-hmm. to say, you're going to use our software, right. the lender is going to say, use our software, or are they able to come to an agreement right. to say, okay, let's figure out what's, what's going to work best for the borrower to create the best borrower experience. And let's mm-hmm. figure out how we can use both of our technologies mm-hmm. to create a great experience across the board. And you've basically talked about three parties in a transaction, uh, the borrower, the lender, the title agent. But there's a lot more at the end of the day. Do we need an attorney, an appraiser, an inspector, mm-hmm. a realtor? Um, yep. How are you? Is, is that a challenge that you're looking to tackle in any way, shape or form? Yeah, and that's a great question. And I would say our, our core platform, our core title platform, um, we've got a rough solution called Connect, which essentially bridges the gap yeah. between the, the lenders and the settlement agent. But that also mm-hmm. opens the doors up to allow folks to bring in a realtor or any an appraiser, um, 
attorney, any third party right there. So that's something we've had in place today, uh, or we've had in place for several years now. It's something that's being driven from the settlement agent back to the lender right there uh, to help. Again, I think you know communication is is going to be the biggest challenge across the board from you know upfront with a realtor all the way down to the settlement yeah. agent right there. So providing um, a way where they can communicate um, and communicate in a secure environment, I think as well, right? Yeah. And I think you, you touched on this a little bit with lenders just wanting to say, let's just keep on doing this the old way. We're busy. That's going to be quicker, right? Like it seems like there's never a good time to implement technology at the end of the day, right? Because either you're too busy to do it or you're in a cost cutting mode and you're concerned about the investment. You know, as someone who's sold technology to lenders for a while, when is that best time? And do you ever feel like you hit that sweet spot? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, I would say... Honestly, like the beginning of the year through about March is going to be one of the, your your big sweet spots. I think just because mm-hmm. volumes haven't ramped up on the lender side, at least for lenders yet, mm-hmm. um, it's going to obviously slow down, you know, a little bit as you get towards the end of the year. But I think at the end of the day, there's no there's no best time to buy and implement software because something's always going to happen, right? You're always right. going to have. I mean, the industry is constantly changing. New regulatory requirements are getting in place, so the lenders that are looking at this as a a consistent, you know, oscillating yeah. wheel where it's like we're gonna um, address these areas and we're gonna continue to improve them, address them, and, and invest in technology. Yeah. Um, those are the ones I think in the long term they're gonna be the most successful. Um, trying to balance all of those instead of trying to cram it into a three month or a two month period, then getting all those solutions implemented if they're implemented correctly, getting them rolled out and adopted, yeah. and um, so trying to to bite it off in small chunks right there. Or they come to you when something breaks, right? That's a sweet spot, right? This is broken or we're doing a new LOS or something like that. So we need it yesterday. Always, right? And then, you know, some of these solutions too that I've seen, um, you know, out there that have been implemented, some of them take six months or three months or a year to implement, depending on what what you're dealing with. And so, um, you know, trying to do that and also trying to balance implementing, improving process or adopting other technologies in addition to that. And then again, do you have the resources to actually handle all this as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Always some challenges, but hey, it keeps things interesting, right? Right. Um, changing subjects a little bit. You and I met through the um, impact committee um, that the MBA puts together, Young Mortgage Professionals, and we're both millennials in the mortgage industry and we'll probably still be on the younger side of the folks here until either of us turn 50 in a number of years. <laughs> right. So, you know, a, a few things with, you know, being young and in the, the industry, I, I think one thing I always like to ask is, what do you feel like the industry gets wrong about millennials? Oh man, um, I think people. No, this question, wasn't our, this wasn't no, our preparation. No, that's, that's a great that's a great off. question because yeah. usually it's usually it's you know what do millennials need to do to help in, yeah. you know get into the workplace? But the stereotypes, I think, or what, right. what do people get wrong? I think there's there's obviously the assumption that millennials are really entitled and they don't have a lot of work ethic, and I think that is is absolutely wrong. Um, I think they, they very much are willing to adopt, to adopt change too, where it's, mm-hmm. instead of, if it's not broke, don't fix it. It's yeah. how do we do this more efficient and how to do this faster? And so I think that also helps challenge the status quo of, you know, mm-hmm. let's look at address, look at and address new types of technology or processes to help make it a, make it better for anyone. And I think they're a lot more, not more willing, but they're definitely very willing to help push the envelope in that capacity because, mm-hmm. you know, we did grow up in a, in an age where, um, you know, iPhones weren't around when I was in high school, but we're in this like nice sweet spot of where we grew up, 
um, where everything done was done in paper when we were younger. And then as we yeah. you know, progressed into our, into college and our careers, we're, we see this influx of technology and the, um, the impact it just had across the board in our daily lives and able to harness that and then apply that to, to the, you know, the business world for us. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think part of it too, is just the experiences we have growing up during the Great Recession too. And the idea that, you know, a, a company loyalty that someone would have 20, 30 years ago doesn't exist now because it's not a two-way street anymore, right? It's not something where, you know, you're going to see um, a company want to keep someone around for that long, depending on how things go. We've seen, you know, a lot of layoffs, even in the mortgage industry lately. Um, so I feel that kind of entitlement or, you know, wanting to work-life balance or things like that comes from the fact that it's not the environment it was 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, 100%. And then one thing I find frustrating at times in the industry is, you know, there's certainly complaints about millennials, just like we complain about the older generation, I'm sure. But everyone wants to sell to millennials, right? Everyone wants to get out there and talk to those people of those generations because that's who's going to buy houses going forward. Um, So what do you think people are getting wrong specifically with how you should try to market to the millennial customer. Yeah. Um, I would stop <laughs> from a personal perspective. I'd stop sending out, um, sending out mail, like physical mail to millennials, right? At the end of the day, yeah. I get them, for, I get it all the time, um, from lenders. And, and to be mm-hmm. honest, like I've got a wood stove and I use it as fire starter. So it's great, but I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't read any of it. Um, so, but I think at the end of the day, like it goes back to what I mentioned earlier, there's millennials want the ease of use of technology, but they still yeah. need the handholding throughout the process. Right. So they want to mm-hmm. feel like they are heard. They want to feel like you've got their yeah. back, uh, because it is obviously a very stressful process, especially, right. you know, as if you, if you look at, like first-time home buyers, right? The average age, I think, is about 33, and, and the biggest influx of first-time home buyers since the baby boomers are about to hit the market right now. So you have a massive opportunity of, of you know, um, supply of, of, or I guess, demand for folks wanting to to go and purchase a home. Um, so how do you get to them, right? It's it's I think it's a lot of relationships too. At the end of the day, yeah. Um, I think there's still, you're still going to see a lot of the direct consumer lenders, you know, be successful with a lot of the online marketing. But I also think there was this idea when point of sale, um, you know, started to come into the market that, you know, traditional retail shops were going to be put out of business, I think at the end of the day. And I, and I don't think that's true because you're still going to have those relationships that, that handholding. Uh, most of the folks that I know that have, um, selected their loan officer, they either get a referral from the real estate agent or it's they have yeah. a buddy or a friend or a family member that recommended, you know, right. for them to work with somebody right there because they're only going to go through this a couple of times in their life and they need, yeah. they're still going to be stressed out and go through everything else just like a, a baby boomer or Gen X would mm-hmm. as well. Well, I think you're going to see the split, right? The really local folks are going to survive because of that depth in the local market mm-hmm. and the big kind of consumer direct shops are going to do well too because they can be first to the consumer digitally so if you're in between where does that leave you yeah that's a that's a great point um and yeah. just from purely from a purely from a marketing perspective it's like you know where do you invest your resources yeah. um and how do you do that and i think you, you made a really good point right it's going to be depending on localization at the end of the day right mm-hmm. if you're in more of a rural smaller town rural area it's going to be more relationship driven if yeah. you're in a an urban, urban environment city obviously you're going to pour a lot more money into um right. a lot of your you know direct to consumer type tools mm-hmm. exactly and i think it just looks about a lot smaller and you touched on something that i I always say when I I get asked that question is, um, you know, the technology is important and the home buying process will probably start online in one way, shape or form. Um, But you then need that 
look for that handholding and that relationship outside of that too. I read an article a while ago, actually, the, the way to get to millennials is through their parents, right? In terms of, hey, dad, do you have a mortgage guy, right? Or something like that, like that could be. Um, so and I, I think the fact that everything is done on, on the phones is a common misconception. 100%. But, and I think, you know, with kind of young professionals in the industry, Qualia being a young company, you know, what, what have you seen over your time in the industry now that we're probably not the youngest people there anymore? You know, it's, it's a lot of fun. I think with the influx of, of fintechs and, and a lot of these, especially just VC-backed companies that have come yeah. in the industry and really really challenged the status quo. Whereas when you and I came in the industry, um, you know, we were always the youngest by probably 20 or 30 years, like yeah. easy. And and if, if I was in a meeting, um, you know, with a bunch of folks, traditionally, I was expected to just keep my mouth shut and listen and, and have somebody else that was more senior, yeah. you know, drive everything. Whereas now, you know, you do have CEOs and executives that are still in their 20s right now running mm-hmm. running companies. You're, you've got successful um, account executives that are, um, you know, in their mid to late 20s in this, in this industry that have a lot of subject matter expertise or are building right. it. So that's been really exciting to see is that, you know, somebody doesn't have to wait until they're later on in their career to, to come in and have an impact. You can come in and as, as, as long as you're able to learn the industry and, and speak the language of lenders mm-hmm. or speak the language of settlement agents right there, mm-hmm. you're able to, to help add value and, and really push the envelope, I think. Yeah. So that's that's really exciting for me and, and seeing that with folks on my team that are you know getting into their careers and and growing their skill sets, their sales, sales skill sets is going on and being able to have conversations with mortgage executives and actually mm-hmm. add value to not just have the conversation to have the conversation. I was talking to someone who's the, the CEO of another vendor and um, he was talking about kind of, you know, a lot of the, the newer companies um, venture back that has generally a lot of younger people. And um, he was saying like, yeah, but I'm talking to someone who's never even bought a house and like doesn't know the industry at all. Right. And then I um, said to him, you know, I've never made a mortgage payment. Right. I, I saw him. I'm 35. I haven't bought a house. And his jaw just dropped. Yeah, he just kind of got flabbergasted for the second. So, you know, I do think that there's a difference of you can understand this industry and be able to learn it if you're in the right situation around the right people, even without making a mortgage payment. 100%. I still think there's a massive lack of just supply of, of people that do know the industry, right? Everybody, yeah. everybody in the industry is trying to grow and hire and there's just not enough supply of, of yeah. subject matter expertise in the industry. So I think that is a big challenge. And you're seeing that, especially with the, the fintechs um, and just folks that I'm talking to is they've got a lot of very smart and very talented people, but right. there's very limited knowledge about mortgage or about title or about right. that space. And so trying to figure out how do they fill the gap um, you know, moving forward. And I think there's opportunities to do so, but it's, it's been a challenge I've seen, you know, since uh, in the last four or five years, since you did see this big influx of, of tech That's something we're looking at now with hires too, of do you go in the industry or outside of the industry? And, you know, you pay a premium when you're looking at folks in the industry versus not, but it takes a lot more time if they're outside. So there's like anything else, always a lot of trade-offs. hundred percent. Yeah. So, um, you know, wrapping up, looking ahead to this year, what are the things that are going to be taking up a lot of your time, both new products, lender discussions, things you're excited about? Yeah, um, great question. And, and you know, we've got some new products that are going to be launching early next year. So I'm really excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, can't quite talk about it yet, but I sure. think it, I, it goes back to you know, really solving those lender title relationships. And, and mm-hmm. that's, I think, going to be the next iteration of as we get, you know, further and further, lenders are 
getting further and further of investing in adoption and e-closing solutions, I think this is going to be the next iteration of where lenders really address. So I'm really excited about that. And then we also have our own internal conference call coming up. We call it the future of real estate or fours. So that'll be um, April 4th through 6th at Austin City Limits in Austin. And that's been a really, really successful conference in the past for us. It brings together lenders, title company or title companies, settlement agents, escrow officers, and, and it's a really great event across the board right there. Nice. Yeah. Sounds like a great place for it too. Everyone Absolutely. Can't go around Austin. Weather in, uh, April. Yep. Good weather, good music and, uh, yeah. and, and a lot to do there as well. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, any, anything else um, you want to want to plug or this is actually usually where I ask someone what, what gets them out of bed in the morning um, and excited to, to do what they do every day. That's a, that's a really good question. Um, yeah. For me, for me, it's my team. Um, mm-hmm. I, um, you know, I want to put my team, you know, the, my account executives that, that report to me in the best position they can to succeed, whether that's in their careers, whether that's in this mm-hmm. industry or whatever it is they want to do. So mm-hmm. um, I'm here for I'm here for them. Um, I like the industry as well. I when I came in this industry, I had a pretty sour taste, to be honest, in my mouth. Um, I you know got out of college in 07. So mm-hmm. had my first job, was able to keep it through the recession. But I had um, a very, I would say, negative perspective on the mortgage industry. And and when I got into it, I assumed right. that I'd been in it for a year or two, and then I would be doing um, other yeah, things. Yeah. And here I am, like eight or nine years later, whatever it is, you know, still here. And it's been really cool to see. Um, even though it's it's a lot slower than other industries, I think at times um, to move and progress the progression um, of the industry, how big of an impact we have on um, on people. So that's one of the the. I don't know. My favorite part is the stories we hear um, from both lenders and title companies is like the impact on actually closing a home, right? Somebody that's able to to buy their first home or immigrated from another country, never thought they could own property or own a home. And like, they get that. Those are the stories that I think really help drive me and keep me in this industry. Um, That, and then, um, as, as tough as it's been, like you're starting to see an influx of like diversity in the industry, which too, which I'm really excited about. Mm-hmm. So I think both from an age perspective, um, you're seeing a lot more millennials and JNC and then um, just different people from different backgrounds, different races, different religions. Yeah. Like that's really exciting for me too, because it's, it is, that's not historically been the, the case in this industry. And mm-hmm. you know, it's easy, easy to speak as a white male, I guess, obviously, but that, that diversity is really cool to see um, in this industry now. And it's like continuing to get better. Well, it's nice to see the industry match the people who are buying homes at the end of the day. Right? That's a and great way to put it. You know, a good thing and also just a great thing for business too. Hunter, yeah, that's a, a great way to put it right there. Yeah. Well, you would you would set a slow change, but knowing you for the last three years, few years, the progression has not seemed slow at all from my end. So, you know, keep on doing what you're doing. I'm glad we got to kick off 2022 together and hope to see you out there as we finally get back to some conferences. Yeah, looking forward to it, Jim, and uh, look forward to grabbing a beer when we see you next. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Ty. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jim. <laughs>